0: Before we get started on today's show, some housekeeping stuff. If you're unfamiliar with my other podcast, The So-Called Prophet from Pittsburgh, I suggest you check it out now. It's an eight-part investigative series into a UFO cult that is uh, based in southern Arizona. It's it's a look into the lives of the members, the ex-members, the founder, their beliefs, How they make their money, how they keep people there—it's pretty fascinating character study, if I do say so myself. And you can uh, click on the link in the show notes, or go to my website, LennyFlatley.net, or uh, you know just search in your podcast app. There's also a book coming out based on that—an expanded look at the so-called prophet from Pittsburgh. It's called New Age Grifter. It's being released by Feral House, and it's available for pre-order now. Search on Amazon or bookshop.org, or check out the link in the show notes. And uh, speaking of books, we're going to talk quite a bit today about recovered memories and false memories and the role of conspiracy theory in American life. And I have a book about it. It's uh, called Satan Goes to the Mind Control Convention. Available now wherever you get your books online, as long as that's Amazon or bookshop.org. Be sure to check that out. Last week, uh, New York Magazine's The Cut posted a story by Katie Heaney, that somehow managed to bungle the story of the recovered memory movement in the United States in such a profound way that it's like really worth looking at. This is the kind of thing that usually gets messed up by the media and this was profoundly bad and almost, and as I say in my upcoming uh, conversation with Lucien Greaves, almost kind of like a case study in how to get the story wrong. The piece is called The Memory War. Jennifer Fried accused her father of sexual abuse. Her parents' attempt to discredit her created a defense for countless sexual offenders. It's been an accepted notion for a long time that, in the culture, that people can just, like, lock away traumatic memories, put them in the back of their mind somewhere, forget about them, get on with their life, only to have them unlocked years later. It's like... It's like the brain's a tape recorder or something, and it's supposed to be that really horrible things that happened, whether it be sexual abuse from a parent, satanic rituals inflicted upon a helpless child, aliens coming down, you know, and, like, abducting you, invasion by, by demons. All these things are supposed to be so traumatic that the human brain can't comprehend them and makes them disappear. This sort of thing has been studied for years and science has determined that this is flat out wrong, but this folk wisdom stubbornly persists. There's even a school of therapy that exists to unlock these hidden memories and a professional organization for these therapists called the ISSTD or the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation. So in her story, The Memory War, Katie Heaney Looked at one family who embodies the struggle between the recovered memory therapists and those who call them unscientific. That would be the Fried family, F R E Y D. In 1992, after Pamela and Peter Fried were accused by their adult daughter, Jennifer, of abusing her as a child, the parents reacted by founding something called the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. The thinking being that if were being affected, there are countless others being affected by this, and we need a foundation that can look at these claims and, you know, in cases where these accusations are unjust and leading to a trial, uh, we can help marshal the defense of people. Uh, You might not remember, but in the 80s and 90s, an awful lot of people were going on trial for exactly these kind of claims. So Jennifer Fried claimed that her father abused her and parents claimed that, you know, it was lousy therapy and who knows what else that created these these false memories. And when we're talking about this kind of shitty therapy, we're talking about things like guided meditation, dream interpretation, hypnosis. I mean, the practices used by recovered memory therapists are really like backwards, archaic therapeutic practices and religious practices that... Are just kind of like dusted off and given the patina of scientism. This sort of thing really has more in common with exorcisms and past life regression than it does real therapy. And in the New York Mag story, uh, New York Magazine story, Heaney engages in a kind of historical revisionism. She uh, recasts the False Memory Syndrome Foundation into an organization that solely exists to get Peter Fried off the hook for abusing his daughters. Also whitewashes Jennifer's work, which is much more bizarre and unscientific than you'd know from ever reading the article. And as wrong as this article is, it really couldn't be more timely. As I record this, there's probably about 20 hours left of Trump's presidency. He was a symbol of this like retrograde, anti-scientific culture of decline that America has been living with for years and has only stepped up. In the last four years and is only gonna get worse. So that's why it's a real shame that New York Magazine and Katie Heaney put together this piece in the way that they did. I mean, with outlets like New York Mag and journalists like Katie Heaney putting out content like this, who needs parlor? Lucian Greaves, uh, my guest, is the co-founder of the Satanic Temple And one part of his mission has been fighting the satanic panic, unscientific, pseudotherapeutic methods, and he was oddly included in the piece. So we're going to talk to uh, Lucian now and just really get into this article and to this issue Hey, it's Lenny. How you doing? Good. How are you? Well, you know, I was just reading The Cut as I do every day. (laughs) (laughs) Your morning ritual? (laughs) Right, right. And saw this ridiculous article about false memories or recovered memories. So I thought I would call you and get your take on it.
1: Well, you know, you would read that article and if you didn't know any better, you'd say, damn, that journalist Missed a lot of facts. It was a shame. Nobody was there to correct her. You know, she, uh, she obviously only got one side of the story and didn't look too much deeper. But this time I actually have inside knowledge of this. She was corrected on a lot of the misperceptions she had because I told her, she interviewed me at great length and she chose to ignore everything that conflicted with her narrative. And that to me is really frustrating. Drove me to write a whole piece about it. In fact, I'm included in the piece, as you may have seen, but I'm not quoted at all. I'm just kind of lumped in with the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, which is presented as by and for people accused of sexual abuse and only as a tool to exonerate them from crimes they've committed.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I I think one of the things that really stood out to me about this article was the fact that it really unearthed nothing or revealed nothing that was at all of interest or that it all hadn't been repeated ad nauseum.
1: Well, she, she said uh, that it took her a year to write the piece, and it was about a year ago that she did her interview with me. And then I read this piece, and I was thinking, I guess it took her a full year to figure out how to ignore everything she learned in the course of that time. I mean, one could have easily hacked out that article on the very surface of it, you know, within a week for sure. But, uh, she didn't allow anything, like I said, that complicated her presumptions to get in the way. And it was just really frustrating to me to uh, to see somebody taking up that air of being the victim's rights advocates. When I told her about a whole victim's community uh, people who've been affected by recovered memory therapies. Because again, as she presents it, the idea of false memories is simply a tool used by people who've committed crimes, uh, horrific crimes of sexual abuse. And, and uh, false memories is just the defense to claim that the uh, the victim's memories of those occurrences are are not true. In the way the author of the Cut article makes it sound is that the false memory argument is applied merely to uh, any and all crimes of sexual abuse rather than the reality, which is that false memories are are a question when we're talking uh, claims derived from recovered memories, which have proven to be terribly unreliable in our where we get claims of satanic ritual abuse from alien abduction and past lives, people who go through past life regression and become convinced that they they remember lives they've lived before their own.
0: Yeah, and that struck me as really odd, this kind of divorcing divorcing false memories from recovered memories, which might sound like splitting hairs, but it's important because recovered memories, there's a very real methodology to getting those. And that involves very bizarre pseudoscience that basically comes from like speaking in tongues and like, you know, the deliverance movement in Christianity, like these weird, right. Like, like possession states. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That whole kind of uh, trance technique and, and free form association in certain ways, depending on how you get there with with recovering the memories because they have guided imagery therapy sessions um, where, you know, you, you're supposed to focus on a type of image and then build the environment around it. And then, you know, presumably there's a reality to it that's being manifested, something you'd forgotten from your past. And then there's hypnotic regression. And some of the retractors we know and work with, And when I say retractors, just so people know, I mean, there's a lot of people who had recovered memories while in therapy who realized later on that those memories weren't true. They were false memories, and they were traumatic false memories. And they grow very upset at the idea that they were cultivating trauma, essentially, with the therapist they were seeing. And some of them sued those therapists, but in in any case, they they retract what they claim they previously uh, remember. And and that that is a victims' community, right? And and to see uh, the the author of the cut totally dismiss that victim community as though it's merely part of a cover up of crimes of sexual abuse was grossly irresponsible. And it's one thing if you know a journalist was misled by an organization like the ISSTD that propagates the pseudoscience behind uh, behind recovered memories. But when I know firsthand that I told her at length about all of these things and she decided to go with that narrative anyways, that's just infuriating. And then that, that of course, is what drove me to write some like, I don't know, upward of around 4,000 words (laughs) of reputation about this uh, article and posted it yesterday.
0: I I mean, I imagine you've seen so many of these, uh, this lousy journalism, so-called journalism that you would drive yourself nuts if you uh, reacted this way every time a new article came out.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I point that out at the beginning of my essay like I'm not sitting around writing refutations of stuff written about me all the time. And I've been a a controversial spokesperson in the media for eight years. Now, people might not see me on TV all the time or see articles coming out all the time, but I'm pretty much doing interviews all the time. You know, if it's podcasts or whatever, if it's about various projects, a lot of it is because of local stories of things that the satanic temple are doing or whatever. But I'm doing press all the time, and and press is always accumulating. And like I say at the beginning of my essay, it's usually not that bad. Um, There's a lot of misrepresentation. There's a lot of sloppy journalism. There's a lot of errors, in fact. And there's a lot of errors, I think, in interpretation that I still think can be attributed to honest mistakes. You know, uh, I can't really complain when journalists uh, insist on contextualizing us merely as As trolls, or I I do get annoyed when they use the passive-aggressive terminology uh, that attacks our authenticity fairly often when they refer to us as an organization that calls itself the Satanic Temple, or they put Satanists in quotes or something like that. But it it doesn't drive me to write full essays refuting it. Uh, This thing with New York Magazine genuinely is probably the worst the worst I've had in, in eight years from a mainstream media outlet. And I have to be clear about that. I'm not talking about sites like Breitbart, you know, Life Site or whatever else. You you know what you're getting with those, right? But New York magazine's a different story. You know, there's supposed to be a different set of ethics there. There's supposed to be a bit of responsibility. And it's just amazing to me that on one of the articles written that I'm included in in which a fact checker actually called me, you know, to confirm details that it is this bad, that this bad of a piece and this irresponsible.
0: You know, the cut is replaced the style and fashion section of New York Magazine. And it's, you know, like a woman's issues vertical for New York Magazine. And it's just interesting to me that to a large extent, the uh, the recovered memory movement came out of a branch of feminism the Andrea Dworkin, you know, weirdo, like 1980s, like teaming up with Ed Meese faction of feminism has promoted this. Well, I think, I think people don't realize that there was that, that strain of feminism previously. And it's,
1: it's almost unrecognizable from what people consider feminism now, you know, because feminism now, a a lot of times, I think the majority of it focuses on sex positivity and stuff like that. And, And I call that old strain, of feminism that had that unholy alliance with the evangelicals in this case uh this kind of, it, it's a puritanical feminism that's why a common ground there uh between that kind of puritanical feminism and uh and the typical right-wing evangelical bible thumper uh were able to find that common ground really uh really provoke the satanic panic
0: yeah you know and i guess that's why I brought up feminism is because it's while the false memory syndrome foundation can be seen in this sinister light, kind of the mirror image of that, what I would call the reality of it is also women being taking advantage of and traumatized by these mostly male therapists. I don't know if they're mostly male anymore, but for many years, the voice of multiple personality treatment and ISSTD has been largely male.
1: Yeah, you're right. That, that, that might be changing a bit too. There's, there's a lot of, there definitely are a lot of uh, a lot of female fraud therapists now, but yeah, it, it was really bizarre watching some of the earlier footage guys like Colin Ross running these whole recovered memory cults of women he had convinced were, uh, you know, have been abused by Satanists or, or whatever else, but something about Heaney's piece uh he, Heaney being the name of the author of the New York magazine piece that struck me as something that wouldn't really resonate with a modern audience was the focus on really mundane tales uh, told by by Jennifer Fried in place of tales of these of this horrific abuse in um, Jennifer. I mean, to clarify for everybody, you know, I, I assume people get some kind of background on the uh on the article, but the article focuses on the Fried family. Uh, Pam and Peter Fried founded the False Memory Syndrome Foundation in the early '90s um, as a network uh, resources nonprofit organization for people for people affected by this recovered memory issue, and you know, of course, their attachment to this was that. Their daughter, Jennifer Fried, at the age of 33, um, determined that she had recovered memories of being abused by Peter as a child. Um, The piece in the New York Magazine breezes over this and then leaves one with the impression that, you know, any claim of abuse is is subject to this false memory defense, which was essentially uh, manufactured entirely to defend Peter and was just a a kind of nefarious plots to, uh, to, to exonerate him, which is, which is ridiculous. Uh, The Fried family could, could not exist, you know, and, and we still would know that these memories that were surfacing at the time of satanic ritual abuse, alien abductions and things like that weren't true. False memory research would have happened one way or the other. This whole theory would have manifested the false memory syndrome foundation might not have existed, but all the rest of it would be there. So to just say that this family's history is indicative of, of this entire thing and explains it all is, is just, it's just hack work. It's just a, it's just a cheap, it's just a cheap narrative. It's a way to avoid confronting the science of recovered memories and even the scientific consensus and trying to boil it down to this one narrative. But when I've gone to conferences conferences of people who believe that they were either abducted by aliens or that they were uh, uh, abused by Satanists and satanic ritual abuse, uh, trauma-based mind control programs, and these vast conspiracy theories they've developed around this whole notion of recovered memories. It's pretty common that there is an easy distinction to be made between the reality of what they lived and the memories that they recovered. And it seems to me in my experience that they'll talk a lot more about the reality of what they've, they've lived. And to that end, they'll talk about very mundane things, very mundane slight set they suffered at the hands of their parents. I was at a ritual abuse mind control conference in 2008 where We had people talking, and these people claimed to have been part of CIA programs where they were mind controlled, horrifically abused, and the abuse is part of mind control, right? You you have to torture somebody bad enough that it's so horrific that they'll repress the memories, and by that uh, method, you can cause their personalities to fracture and you can program these different personalities to have distinct functions. So you had people who had these narratives of having a full childhood, you know, of mind control, of of CIA plots, the Illuminati and Satanists and stuff like that. And yet it was typical that they would stand up and take the lectern and they would talk about things like uh, there was a lady called herself uh, uh, DiJoli Labrie or something like that. And she was talking about how her uh, how her parents or her father, you know, had been in the military and he was very strict. And if the children were getting out of hand or the child, I don't know if she was an only child or not, he sometimes did this thing where he'd get angry and he had a little uh, dot drawn on the wall. And he'd be like, you have to stand here, keep your nose against this dot, and not move until I tell you. And it's like, that might be a bit of a, cruel punishment for a child, that might be a bit much, you know, um, uh, depending on uh, certainly on how long you do it, you know, but that, that might be a little excessive and there might be better ways to handle your child. But if you've been suffering the rest of it, are you even going to talk about being made to stand in one spot for a period of time? I couldn't understand the focus on things like that. And, in, in other people would talk about, you know, mundane things too, like, oh, my 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 parents threw away my princess phone or whatever. And it, it, and I'm wondering like, really, but you're also claiming that you were uh, uh, disemboweled and stitched up again and stuff like that. And and you're, and you're harping on like a, a toy that was taken from you. And I got a similar vibe from the piece in the New York magazine when Jennifer Fried is talking about how her father claimed that they weren't the kind of family that would eat, uh, iceberg lettuce they were romaine lettuce kind of people and i'm thinking really you 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 carried the pain of that lettuce elitism for decades and and now you're 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 finally able to to breathe it out uh and you know it's to the point where where i just have to make light of this because I I can't pretend I take these claims seriously, especially when they're so irresponsibly handled by, by the people who are making them. And at a certain point, if Jennifer fried were really abused as as a child in the way that she says she was, uh, you know, even given that it's recovered memory testimony and there's every reason to doubt that it's still no excuse. It's still no excuse for, denying the the torment that people are suffering at the hands of what she's advocating for. And to be clear, she's part of the ISSTD, you know, and, 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 you know, she propagates these narratives that, uh, that, that defend the use of recovered memory therapies and the use of recovered memories, uh, recovered memory evidence, the recovered memory veracity when it comes to, uh, to, to, to judging the, the, the legitimacy of 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 eyewitness testimony, and, and to me, that that there's there's nothing that justifies that irresponsibility. Nothing.
0: You can't talk about, you know, recovered memories without going into like, like these aren't things that just pop up. Weeks, months, more realistically, months, years of like really bizarre, traumatic therapies go into undredging these supposed memories. But to read this uh, Heaney piece, you know, you would think that it's something that just naturally happens. It's a natural process, and it's being denied by people who want to get child molesters off of, keep them out of jail. Well,
1: I think there's a lot of cognitive dissonance,
0: too. I think she
1: threw some stuff in there in her struggle to convince herself that she was not ignoring things, right? Like she throws in the quote by Elizabeth Loftus where, you know, in Elizabeth Loftus is a real pioneer in false memory research. And she kicked off, you know, a whole flood of false memory research that continues to this day in research psychology when she did this lost in the mall experiment. And what the lost in the mall experiment did was very basic. It took these undergraduates um, and I think they did interviews with people in the undergraduate's family. And then they came up with a list of, of events that happened in the childhood of the undergraduate. And, and the list would contain something like five things that had happened in their childhood. And then, but then there was one false item. And that false item was this lost in the mall story. Right. And uh, so they would have the undergraduate and the undergraduate wouldn't know that this episode that they dug up wasn't something, you know, that they actually had on record at all. And then they'd be told, all right, we've got these, uh, these occurrences that happened earlier in your life and we want you to try to remember more about them. And in, uh, in the course of like a week or two weeks or something like that, if i 'm remembering all this correctly i 'm getting the gist of it right in any case somebody's going to have to you know if somebody really wants to know the details they, they're, they do good to confirm because it 's been a while since i 've read this so anyways, people given time to think about these events would come up with more details about the the things that had occurred, but a significant percentage of them came up with a narrative around the event that never occurred, and a lot of them you know they, I guess they would say they they, they didn 't quite remember it at first, but if they if they thought about it, you know they would think oh yeah yeah and they they would come up with something they didn't they didn 't realize this what, these weren 't actual memories that they were just you know they were envisioning this or trying to remember it, and then they they thought they did you know and and that that really uh uh, gave some credibility to the idea that people are able to form false memories. And um, Heaney, in her piece in New York Magazine, makes it sound as though all false memory research is essentially the work of Elizabeth Loft as she created this idea with her Lost in the Mall study. And given the premise of her piece, uh, you're kind of given the impression that she just did this to help protect the, the Frides. And, and all of that is ludicrous. Um, But in the piece, Heaney does quote Loftus as saying, you know, that was a long time ago. And there's been a lot of research that has verified, you know, this premise. And then Heaney disregards that by saying, nonetheless, Elizabeth Loftus herself cites the lost in the mall study this many times, you know, and that's, I mean, that that does absolutely nothing to refute the the, the the fact that, you know, false memories are established science. I mean, just saying that uh, that Loftus has cited it, of course she cited it a lot. It really kicked it. She's proud of it. She's the one who came up with the idea. If there's methodolo- methodological flaws. It doesn't take away from the fact that she really set the, the premise here in really uh, – And really gave people something to go on. Researchers who have expanded upon this body of work, and so I I feel like you know the author in the cut included these things to kind of try to try to convince herself that she wasn't running away from everything and that she was confronting it. And in the same way, she mentions satanic ritual abuse, and its inclusion, I I felt was probably insensible to the. to the average reader who has no background on this, she says that in the, you know, in the wake of uh, claims of satanic ritual abuse or something like this, you know, the, the false memory syndrome uh, foundation took the opportunity to, uh, to cast doubt upon all, all memories of abuse or whatever. And you, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't do justice at all to the fact that, these satanic ritual abuse memories are clearly false memories. And there's very clear cases on record that have been litigated, you know, that we know about where those memories were manifested in the course of recovered memory therapies. And when you're going to ignore the fact that the false memory syndrome foundation is, was, you know, they're, they're, they're defunct now was focused on recovered memories as false memories uh, you know then this inclusion of of satanic ritual abuse as though it were some kind of outlier event that the false memory syndrome foundation took advantage of right. is is tantamount to a lie
0: yeah that 's the whole point is that that 's where these recovered memories aka false memories come from. I mean, and I think people who maybe aren't super familiar with this material, when they hear, reco- you know, when they hear recovered memories, and when they hear satanic ritual abuse, have to think UFO abduction. I mean, they're basically, I think, the same phenomenon, and it's instructional to like kind of keep that in mind because that's the amount of credibility that these satanic recovered memories deserve.
1: Right, and in, in the problem. Uh people need to overcome is when they look at cases of uh of alien abduction people who believe they're abducted by aliens um you know it seems kind of obscure into a lot of people it's humorous there's nothing funny about it um in the course of doing what we do with gray faction and, and gray faction in the cut piece is presented as just an offshoot of the false memory syndrome foundation and then we're you know, by extension, blame for all the things that are misattributed to the FMSF. But uh, uh, in the course of doing what we do with Gray Action, I've spoken to a lot of people who were previously convinced that they were abused by Satanists or whatever. But I I also have have had a great deal of contact with people who had believed they were abducted by aliens. And, And these people, you know, they come out of that belief system And in some ways, it's even worse for them uh, because they they really know they have nobody to talk to, you know. People are going to laugh at them and just think that they were entirely gullible for ever believing this stuff at all.
0: There isn't this current in American culture that accepts (laughs) victims of UFO abduction with the open arms, same they do victims of abuse. And then the abuse gets conflated with these like satanic narratives and then you know, opens the door for just all kinds of misunderstanding.
1: Yeah. But the thing people need to realize is that uh, traumatic false memories uh, respond in people's minds, in their bodies. Uh, The same as memories of actual traumas, you know, false memories, false memories convince the mind. And, uh, and people can, uh, can, can really be led to believe that these things happened they can really cultivate these memories and they can be traumatic. At Harvard, they did a study uh, where they had people who had, you know, false memories of traumatic alien abductions. And they did uh, script driven imagery sessions with them and, and tested their psychophysiological responding. And, and what that is, is, that, you know, they would have these people read a script that was similar to what they claim to have experienced. And their psychophysiological response showed the same type of reactions as somebody who was doing uh, script-driven imagery to, uh, you know, real traumas that they suffered. Like, say, trauma during wartime or whatever, verified things that happened in their lives, you know. So it's it's no small issue. You know, if you have people going in getting recovered memory therapies and cultivating these traumas, they're essentially being traumatized in the ways that they're being made to remember that they were traumatized. They're carrying that with them, you know, and and alien abduction gives us kind of a non-controversial type of memory to work with here. You know, if you are just working with people who you're claiming, uh, I don't think they were sexually abused the way they say they were, you know, and look, nonetheless, uh, they're suffering trauma, you know, When you have alien abduction, you generally have an agreement that these people, you know, develop these memories in the course of the recovered memory therapy that they had. And then you can see, you know, that they have this kind of kind of trauma response. And I can't stress this enough. I told the author of the cut piece all about all of these things. The fact that she didn't include any of them in her article was willful negligence. Like, uh, you know, she she decided to ignore this population of victims in preference of the victim narrative she wanted to tell. And, and, and that's that's journalistic malpractice of the highest order.
0: Oh, absolutely. And then, I mean, even she set up Elizabeth Loftus's memory research. She concentrated on the lost mall, you know, lost in the mall study. You know, as if that was the cutting edge of memory research. And then to refute it, she went to a grad student who said, I participated in the study, but it makes me uncomfortable now because it's being used by people who would get abusers off in court. So it's like he's not even addressing, you know, the actual study. He's addressing how people look at the study and use it to make him feel uncomfortable, which. Yeah, it'd probably make me uncomfortable, too, but that has nothing to do with the merits of the study. And I think this article does that quite a few times.
1: Well, it's even worse than that. I looked up that grad student uh, on Facebook and immediately I see that he has a public post where he's very disappointed in how he was quoted in that piece and and feels that he was uh, he, he was misrepresented. Okay. In And it's amazing to me because he plays a kind of a minor role. I actually pulled up his comment on Facebook. I posted it in my piece. I took a screenshot because he did post it publicly. I didn't even ask him if, if he minded, but I figured since he posted it publicly, I would. And since he's named in the article, but in his Facebook comment, it says he has in brackets, it says deep exhale. And then he says, okay, time to clarify a couple of things about this article and its accompanying podcast episode. First, Katie Heaney, its author, appears to have done some creative editing of our phone conversation to make it appear that I'm saying that Elizabeth Loftus's work is unconvincing and misunderstood when what I'm actually talking about is my five-point extra credit assignment in Beth's class nearly 30 years ago. And things like being misquoted in the service of a shoehorned agenda is what I was referring to when I made my, quote, decades of grief quip and the reason i didn't testify about all of this when asked when asked to do it is that i'm not qualified to do so not that i think the research is bad or irrelevant and then in brackets he put frustrated face here and i thought man if even this guy you know given the minor quotes he has in there is complaining and you know i'm complaining i don't even have any quotes put in there at all she just decided to to essentially dox me she she put my uh my real name and her best guess at my age, which she got wrong. When I spoke to her, she asked these things and I said, you know, I don't disclose these things. I know they're available, but I'd rather they not be published because people are threatening to kill me all the time. And, and you know, I, I think I told them like, I understand if you have some standards by which you have to do that, but I I'm not going to participate in that. And I'd rather it's not there. I'm just letting you know. And so I'm put into the piece, and while I do, you know, I do give a pass. Like, if they write about me in the New York Times or whatever, they actually have standards where, they're like, they're not supposed to use pseudonyms, and if they do, they're supposed to disclose the real name, stuff like that. But I, I let them find it. But in this case, I'm not part of the
0: story. It's clearly just thrown in because I would prefer it not to be. <laughs> one, I mean, just people have to read this article. It's literally, like, one or two sentences at the end of a paragraph about something else that names, you know, that Gray Faction and the Satanic Temple exist and Lucian Greaves real name is this and his age is this. And like then it moves on to a completely different paragraph, completely different thought. It's like it's like they were setting up a section of the story and that, that got yanked and they forgot to remove the intro you know, it's reads really odd Right. No. I. I. But. But that's the
1: thing. Like, I feel like I've reached the point where it's like my pseudonym is clearly not meant to cover up who I am. Uh, just as I, as I engaged with one particular story, so I, I don't really feel that that standard of well, we don't allow pseudonyms really applies because I think that standard is supposed to apply when it's like there's no other record of a person and and they're talking about some specific issue in one article or whatever, who's this person? You know what I mean? Like it's pretty clear who I am and there's a whole background of work. So I really did feel like that inclusion was just, was just a way, it was just like pettiness on the, uh, on the reporter's part. And uh, you would think that, you know, an editor could see that and look at that and be like, what's, what's this supposed to mean? But more infuriating is just uh, defining gray faction in the piece. She just summarizes us as the online cult-obsessed sons of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. And because she so grossly misrepresented the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, she by extension had misrepresented gray faction, but she tried to make, well, she she explicitly made out the False Memory Syndrome Foundation as an organization that was by and for people accused of sexual abuse who were trying to manufacture some kind of false science to protect themselves from these claims. And, you know, while the False Memory Syndrome Foundation did have a lot of membership who were accused of abuse, but from, from what I know, these were people accused of abuse, you know, by recovered memory testimony. Gray Faction doesn't have any of that. You know, uh, I checked. We we don't have membership or uh, or volunteers, uh, any of which have been accused. You know, so what does that do to that narrative? You know, it, obviously, Gray Faction can't be lumped in lo- like that, but she does it anyways. And and and, and again, that's that's supreme journalistic incompetence, and, and it's willful incompetence again. Like there was so much i gave her to follow up on and i talked with her at length about how you're never going to get into the recovered memory controversy without without butting up against these conspiracy theories you know i felt like she was getting frustrated that i kept focusing on claims of satanic ritual abuse alien abduction and things like that but that's what gray faction does that really is the difference between us and the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. The False Memory Syndrome Foundation narrowly focused on the science of false memories and the, uh, and the pseudoscience of recovered memory therapies. Gray Faction is focusing on the products of the pseudoscience of recovered memories and to that end, we're looking at those conspiracist claims, the satanic ritual abuse, and the people who are who are hurt by these claims that have been thoroughly debunked and so you know, there's this whole territory there that is gray faction that she she didn't she didn't cover, but she she mention you know but she mentions us anyways as though we're, we're just the false memory syndrome foundation, and then uh it turns out. You know that I had I had spoken to her at length about the ISSTD, the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, and how they're the primary professional organization for mental health professionals that still promote these ideas uh, around recovered memories, and they often have lectures at their annual conferences that deal with things like satanic ritual abuse. Illuminati mind control and these other bizarre conspiracy theories that they feel are substantiated by their pseudoscience. And their largest, most active special interest group in the ISSTD is their ritual abuse mind control special interest group. And, And now they've renamed it the organized and extreme abuse special interest group, I believe, is specifically to hide from the public that they're a conspiracist organization, and the author acts like she's not care. She doesn't care about this stuff, and she acted like she didn't care about this stuff when she was on the phone with me. But how does she ignore that Jennifer Fried is this year's ISSTD conference keynote speaker? That Jennifer Fried is the editor of the ISSTD's own journal that Jennifer Fried spoke at a survivorship conference in 2014 and survivorship is organized by this guy, Neil Brick, who's a mental health professional in Massachusetts who claims that he recovered memories of being an Illuminati super soldier. He claims that Satanists or the Illuminati or the CIA or whomever uh, starts uh, pre-birth abuse, People They abuse fetuses to start the program at the earliest possible age. And this shows absolutely no understanding of uh, developmental biology, of of cognitive development, right? (laughs) I mean, it's absolutely absurd. And at this conference where uh, Jennifer Fried was keynote speaker, you know, you also had other people speaking, you know, very openly on the record and in their uh, conference bios about, you know, Illuminati cults, satanic mind control, and things like that. So how, how do you know all this for a year and manage to miss it when you're writing your piece and decide that all of that is irrelevant, but everything else she's saying is perfectly fine, even if what she's saying is derived from recovered memories? You know, how do you fail to give readers that full picture without willfully trying to guide the reader's Uh, into a false version of reality and that's exactly what he did
0: you know i can't think of you know as you're describing it I, i you're really describing a a professional you know a strata of society or the strata of you know medical profession that is like from bottom up like based on crazy conspiracy theories and crazy pseudoscience and pseudo history and really fringe Christian ideology, I, you know, other than maybe like large swaths of the Republican Party, I really can't think of any other sector in American life where that exists.
1: No, no. And I, I spoke to a, uh, to another person who was interviewed by the author who wrote this piece in the cut. And uh, she used to work with the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, and she was never accused of abuse. You know, she just had a uh, had a family member who became uh, really uh, absorbed in conspiracy theories, you know, based on recovered memory therapies and stuff like that. And she wanted to write a, a rebuttal to the piece also. she She didn't end up being quoted in the piece at all, probably because, you know— uh, because she was problematic to the narrative, you know, probably because she hadn't been accused of abuse and things like that. Um, but she said, I, I don't know if I should even mention some of the things that were, that we spoke about, you know, because I, I don't have a recording of it, but, but she said, uh, you know, that the author of the the piece in the cut said to her, that she just felt that if that if she had been accused of abuse in the way the Frieds had been, you know, instead of starting like this organization and, and and focusing on false memories and stuff, she wouldn't have denied it because she knew she would have known herself that it wasn't true. And therefore she felt that the, the reaction of the Frieds was very suspect. And I think that's, that's, I don't know if she's trying to fool herself or other people, if she would say that, but to, you know, to me, the reaction is weird that you would be, you would be subjected to a horrific abuse. And then you would talk about your father's lettuce elitism as I was talking about
0: earlier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Your mother pulled the princess phone out of the wall in a fit, (laughs) you know, like that's right,
1: right, right, right. Like, like those things seem like odd reactions to me. But I think most people, if they're accused of something horrific that they didn't do, they want people to know they didn't do it. You know, that, that's that's completely legitimate. So to start, to start saying that if you deny it, you're guilty, well, that's just absolutely a lose-lose. And it seems like it's intentionally set up to be a lose-lose by people who just don't want Pushback against the arguments they're presenting. Yeah, there's some things as bad as incarceration. There's some things worse than death. And in some ways, having your reputation smeared like that, so that you're publicly and generally recognized as somebody who does things like that, you might as well be dead. You know, like in in my mind at least, I, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle, you know, walking the streets and being out in public and you know, having a presence online or whatever. And people thinking that I'm a predatory abusive pedophile and to to have not done that and be expected not to deny it. Like if the cops came to my door today and they're like, you're under arrest for murder, I'm not going to say like, yeah, I don't need a lawyer. I don't need to talk about that. You guys can figure it out. You know, I, I know I didn't do it. So I'm cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the important thing. I know what I know what I know, you
0: know,
1: it's ludicrous to, to act like that's That's ever the reality
0: anywhere. You know, so this article definitely glosses over memory science also seems to gloss over Jennifer Fried's work itself and like what she believes. And like, what is your understanding of what Jennifer Fried is all about in this field? Well, you know i got to say I think I 'm responsible for that. I think it's quite possible that her
1: background would have been mentioned in the isSTd would have been mentioned in the piece if I hadn't in my interview with the author uh, completely dismantled those things you know if, if if I hadn't made it clear that there's this whole body of evidence of what a uh, what a destructive pseudoscientific conspiracy theory based organization, the ISS TV is, Uh, I'm sure, you know, the author of the cut wouldn't have, wouldn't have avoided mentioning that uh, Jennifer fried is a, uh, is, is editor of their journal or that she's keynote speaker at this upcoming conference. I'm sure she would have mentioned that as though it's some kind of victim's advocacy and that, you know, because you'll notice it's, it's, conspicuously absent what what other credibility Jennifer Fried might have, right? And and I think she does hold some kind of professor post somewhere. But her work with the ISSTD, as is anybody's work with the ISSTD for me, completely calls into question the value of, of any academic work she has done. And the ISSTD is just that bad, you know? The ISSTD is, to me, this sinister pseudoscientific, you know, uh, deranged organization that propagates the most unusual, destructive, uh, crippling, paranoid beliefs. But they try to do it subtly. You know, they don't run out there screaming about we need to confront satanic ritual abuse. They hope people don't realize that so that they can still Appeal to that market, but also keep a professional standing. To that end, that's why they changed the name of the Ritual Abuse Mind Control Special Interest Group. So, I never looked very deeply into Jennifer Fried, and part of the reason is, is it's just, you know, Jennifer Fried has seemed to, she seems to be one of those like Michael Salter, right? She doesn't want to publicly, publicly say anything about the conspiracy theories that she's helping to support. You know, she's going to be one of those who's more savvy than that, you know? So, um, I, I definitely know that, uh, that Jennifer is hiding that background. Right. But I, I, I haven't looked too deeply into it. And honestly, it's kind of uncomfortable reading the piece being some, I have met Pam and Peter fried, you know, uh, me and, and Sarah, the previous director of gray faction, uh, Visited their place in Philadelphia, I think just before the False Memory Syndrome Foundation was shutting down. They already announced they were shutting down. We spoke to them at length and we talked about going into the archives, which we did at uh, Center for Inquiry and that kind of thing. Got the green light to scan all those materials and things like that. And once you know somebody and things like that, it it can be uncomfortable to read this kind of prurient uh, investigation into these claims that I I don't, you know... I don't have reason to believe. Um, and, and, but also just the way some of that was written about seemed really, uh, uh, seemed really inept at reading the room again, at, at current changes in culture to try to establish that Peter is a pervert by uh, establishing that he has admitted bisexual proclivities. Uh I don't think that sits well with people who who care about uh, you know individual rights today. Uh, people who care about social justice don't like to see people denigrated today over being bisexual
0: or having being abused as a eleven year old. Well, that's another thing too. Uh, my understanding is is that uh,
1: is that Peter was even younger when he was abused, mm-hmm. and the author of the the of the piece. Uh, the New York Magazine piece describes him as prideful about this. I mean, how how callous is that? You know, uh, and and it might be intentional that she got the the, the age wrong and ha- placed him older, to maybe to maybe give a sense that he had more agency in all of this. You know, and that that he he was prideful of having had some relationship with a man or
0: something like that. And very odd that he's not quoted, you know, as, at the very least. Right, right. But even the parts where there's quotes in that article, you know,
1: you see, like, like Loftus's grad student or whatever, you have to take those with a grain of salt. And that's why I was so disappointed seeing commentary from people online saying, like, man, there's a lot she missed about the recovered memory uh, controversy. I'm not going to defend the Frides, however, and they go on. And then I saw a comment like, you know, Jennifer has a, a lot of good reasons to be disappointed in her parents. However, and they go on in where I'm coming from. I'm like, I'm not I'm I'm not ready to throw the fries under the bus. You know, I don't take a damn thing in this in this article seriously. And, and I'm not willing to say like, well, you know, there's a claim of abuse here. And, and therefore, look where this is coming from. You know, in, and, and, you, you know, I take that risk of being uh, characterized as a guy who's just uh protecting some people who were who are accused of abuse or whatever but I'm just not going to be the guy who's going to say okay clearly everything else in this article is provably bullshit but I feel obligated to uh to credit this for some reason just as a compromise
0: yeah yeah you know this speaking as a former editor <laughs> features editor myself you know this really feels like a story that the writer did, you know, to coincide with the closing of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation, and then it got backburnered because it wasn't quite ready, and then they needed something this month, so they dredged it up. And
1: like I said, I was I was shocked just looking at the piece that it got past an editor, but I was also shocked, like like I said, that I talked to a fact checker. And I had I was perplexed by the call from the fact checker because I assumed you know I'm in this piece I'm going to be quoted and I get on the phone with the fact checker and she's just like so uh, what's your what's your legal name and how old are you and I was just like though okay. like I was like well I I talked about this I don't talk about this you know and then she was like well okay it's fine and of course it's fine they can't uh, coerce you into this you know. And plus I wasn't asking to be uh, placed in this piece anyway. And then she carries on by asking, so how do you, how do you earn your living? You know, how do you make money for a living? And I was like, again, I-, I don't understand where this is coming from. What is this piece about? You know? And that's, that's when the fact checker told me, she was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh it's about this family, the, the, the Freeds, the frieds. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I was already suspicious because I was thinking like, the, the Frides, you know, as a family, their family story is not the story of the recovered memory controversy. So I, I don't know where I'm where I'm falling into this. So then the call is over and I'm thinking she didn't ask me, you know, because like, I've been called by fact checkers before. and fact, checkers will say, does this sound like it ac- is an accurate uh, portrayal of your your position or is it fair to say this or or do you agree that you said this, is this, you know, th- this quote, does this sound accurate to you kind of thing? And there was none of that. So I was like, I've, I have no idea what to make of this. Are they just, they can't possibly just put it, be putting in my name, my age and how I make a living. Yeah.
0: And that's exactly what they did. That was it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to failed state update. Uh, Be sure to like and subscribe. I mean, if you do, you'll be the first, but that would be nice. Yeah, be sure to check out the show notes to uh, see all the articles we were talking about. And I will talk to you next time.